Greetings. Welcome to a Simmer and Gabby, Rob Simpson, along with Bruce Boudreaux. Good day, Gabby. Good day, Simmer. We are on the old VancouverHockeyInsider.com. We're on the uh, YouTube at SimmerPuck or just SimmerPuck. And uh, that's also my Twitter X handle and Spotify and all the other good places. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week in the U.S. You're in Hershey. I'm in Hershey today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is early October. It's less formal, kind of strict. Like there's no like, okay, you got to eat your meal here, you know, on the Sunday or the Monday or the Saturday. It's a little looser in Canada, right? Yeah, I was listening to somebody. I can't remember uh, what he said, but it is totally a different vibe. I mean, Thanksgiving is, is great. It's Thanksgiving. But in the States, it's a real, it's a big thing. It's it rivals to me right up there with the 4th of July and, and Christmas is a holiday. It's uh, probably my favorite uh, holiday of the year. Um, is that because uh, of the feast? Because I, I got hired on Thanksgiving my first for my first coaching job. So it was good. Mm. Really? Plus, it's a pretty good feast. Yes. And, you know, if you look at me, you know, I like to eat. <laughs> and we'll also while I look at yeah I don't know if we can see it on the in the graphic but you have the Hershey shirt on and the Cubs are on fire yeah our junior teams won 10 in a row so that's pretty cool I mean uh, um, we find different ways to win every game and and that's what it's all about when you you know when you're uh, when you're playing well I mean you never feel you're out of it. And I think that's the way they feel right now. They feel they can come back. They feel that they believe they can win in any situation. And it's uh, happened to a few of my teams in the past. And when you're, when you've got that feeling, uh, it's a, it's a great feeling because you always think you're going to win. And that's under uh, coach Brady Boudreau, correct? Brady Boudreau. Yes. Mm -hmm. Brady, Brady Boudreau. Say that five times fast. Um, speaking of teams that have taken advantage of winning in different situations, the Vancouver Canucks head into the Colorado Avalanche tonight. And I was checking out kind of the strength of schedule. And I know that's more of a football mm -hmm. term, but they've lost to the Leafs, lost to the Rangers, lost to Tampa Bay. Their two most impressive wins wins were probably two nothing over Dallas at home, and then they beat the Florida Panthers on that on that East Coast trip. Otherwise, it's been yeah, kind of a mediocre run they're going to get tested here in the next two weeks yeah those are the only two teams i mean i don't want to take anything away from anything that they've done but those are the only two teams above 500 they've beaten and florida at the time was under 500 so i mean i think it's important for them for their um for their psyche to come out and and you know what they've the last couple of years they've had a really good record against colorado so i anticipate them playing very well but I think it's important for their psyche to come out and start beating these so-called better teams in the league. Um, you know, like, I mean, after Friday's game, they will have played Edmonton three times, San Jose three times. Eventually they're going to have to play LA three times and they're going to have to play Vegas three times. And so, I mean, to go in there knowing you can win because you've got a real good team is, uh, is, is something, you know, mental. And, and the, the, those things people don't realize pay such an play such an important part in the game of hockey uh you mentioned the la kings there we're going to talk about them a little bit uh, more extensively here today and i'm going to start with them because today we're picking number 20s and i'm picking lucky luke robitaille the hall of famer who was a longtime king then became a ranger for two seasons went back to being a king went to the red wings for two seasons went back to being a king and he's an executive there lucky luke number 20 
And uh, one fun little story for me along the way, the show I shot for Maple Leafs or hosted and co-produced with Maple Leafs TV or Leafs TV back in the day for five years. We got so lucky on so many occasions. Things just fell into our lap. And the one time we're at Joe Lewis Arena, and uh, I guess it was about 03, he ends up breaking Bobby Hull's record for goals by a left winger. And what do you know? We walk into the dressing room and I already knew Bobby and we're they're holding up the pucks and they're standing there posing. And the whole thing happened on the night we just randomly happened to be at the Joe. So that was lucky Luke and just a great, great guy to always talk to. And you know what? He's, he was a 12th round pick. Okay. And I mean, think about that. I mean, he would have been a free agent in today's world because they only go seven rounds. And I'll tell you one thing about Luke. When I worked for the Kings, when I first started uh, working for an NHL team, it was the Kings. And in 19, 99 and so i'd go to their training camps and um and such and there was never a nicer guy out of all the guys there and that first year he would be the guy that would say uh, do you need anything can you want an autograph stick do you want this do you want that and every time i've seen him since he's been very super nice to me so uh you picked a pretty good one uh when you picked number 20 and i think it's a no-brainer that he's probably the greatest number 20 that ever played the game um, but I knew you were going to pick him. So I wanted to go in a different direction, but I wanted to stay a little bit with the LA theme. And so I picked probably, um, the Anze Kopitar of his era and Bob Pulford, and he played for Toronto and LA. Yep. He was the second line center for the Leafs could score. He'd score 20 goals, but he was between him and Davey Keon. They always played against the other team's best lines. And I mean, he also went on to have a fabulous career and he coached me when I, in the games that I went up in Chicago and he was there for 30 years. So, I mean, uh, um, between those two, I think you couldn't get uh, two better guys. Yeah. Outstanding Bob Pulford. Of course. Yeah. As you mentioned, longtime coach, he was pretty grumpy, pretty tough guy. Too, right? Oh, he was grumpy, all right. You know, and <laughs> Bob Murray definitely took his uh, his personality on when, like, Bob Murray played for him for a lot of years, and and when Pulley gave uh, Murray the 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 job, it uh, Murph just took his personality on and was grumpy as well. Yeah. Now you mentioned Anze Kopitar, and uh, we also mentioned the Canucks hadn't played the Kings yet. The Kings are in third place in the Pacific Division. It's like the Slovenian fountain of youth the guy's 36 years old he's their second leading scorer and he's never mentioned in hall of fame conversation. well maybe he is but you don't hear him a lot this guy could be a first ballot by the time he gets there 1300 plus games already 400 plus goals 1100 plus points two selkies two lady bings two stanley cups i mean you coached against him for five or six seasons like he's it's a no-brainer I mean, obviously, I coached against them longer, but I coached in Anaheim That's and we played them directly. Yeah. And, I mean, he was, you know, they had a great team, but he was the straw that stirred the drink. I mean, he was one of those guys, you know, he's big. He's like 230 pounds. So, I mean, um, and, and he would take all the face-offs, play all the defensive responsibilities, and still get – 70 to 90 points a year and uh you just hated playing against him because he he played the game the right way which is who knows what the right way is but i mean he played hard and he was always you know uh responsible and and i i hated seeing him come on the ice because i knew how good he was but 
their respect is out the window when it comes to Andre Kopitar. And it's a team uh, I have not uh, watched really enough at all this season, and I recommend it to most people to check them out because I will de- definitely be checking them out. Well, uh, one thing, one thing, Simmer. I mean, the last two years they finally got some centermen to go along with him. So he doesn't have to do everything. They can, Todd can save him for offensive situations. And when you need him, you know, he goes out with the no on the left side and you need a face off uh, or stuff. So, I mean, it's a really great situation for the Kings to have him. Yep. Pierre Luc Dubois, of course, the guy that you're one of the guys that you're referencing there who hasn't exactly lit it up yet from what I understand, but obviously he's just pointed out. It gives him a lot of options and gives him some depth and strength up the middle. Uh, in general, though, the Pacific's pretty weak. No? I mean, when you consider San Jose, Anaheim, LA's good. Vancouver's surprising. Again, we've talked about their schedule. Vegas is the defending champs. But when you get down into that lower half, it's like, holy. Mackerel. Well, I just think, you know, I mean, I think they've got LA and they've got Vegas, okay, as the two standard bearers in that in that division. Now, Vancouver's trying to get up there and, and staying up there. We'll see if they have the staying power to do that. But, I mean, even Calgary's coming on a little bit. Seattle's playing better. So, I mean, <laughs> I think it's going to still be a little bit of a track meet. But, I mean, they've got teams that are very beatable in the Pacific. I think Edmonton's got to get better. I mean, um, their lineup dictates that they're going to be better. San Jose will not get any better. But, I mean, um, and who knows how they'll be after Christmas when the second half of the season and those dog days of – February and March come in, how they're going to play if they, if they start getting running into injuries. But um, I think the Pacific divisions, two teams that are really good Vegas and, and LA could be the best two teams. Right. You mentioned San Jose. They're uh, taking on the Seattle track in the night crack and fourth opportunity since starting the season. Oh, and two, they've not been to 500 yet. They blew a chance Monday night against Calgary lost in overtime. They got the Sharks at home tonight. You talk about a must-win game against a team that's only won three times and a team, Seattle, that's struggled on home home ice consistently. They need to take care of business. Now, I bring them up also because Matty Beneers is coming out of a slump. He's showed some signs lately. Uh, he's played very, very well. His defensive game has helped pick up his offensive game, and that's what I'm going to ask you about, Gabby, as a coach and a player, because you were very offensive-minded as a player, lit up the American Hockey League in particular. Um, How did you get out of a slump as a player, and do you ever say anything to a a player as a coach in terms of coming out of a slump? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would talk to the the players a, a lot about this because it was probably the one thing I really knew about. You know, like, I mean, and uh, I mean, I would talk to guys and I'd say, okay, how many shots on goal have you had in the last two games? Okay. And you look back and they'd probably come up with a number two or three. And I said, listen, we got to get that up to 10. When you find you've got 10 shots in two games or five in a game, you're going to find that you usually have a goal. I don't know how it happens, but you shoot the puck and it eventually goes in. It might be from center, might be the goal. Everybody says it's lucky, but you find out you're going to score. And, you know, the second thing you do is you work hard on your defensive game and you make sure you get no goals against. And all of a sudden you quit thinking about the goals and that's when they usually occur. Right. Well, I think that's that's kind of what's happened for Beneers. He started to really concentrate on the D and he he is a conscientious 200 foot player. I mean, he was a Calder Trophy winner for multiple reasons last season. So do you remember a slump in particular that really drove you bats when you were playing? 
Um, uh, you know what? Without sounding too bragioso, I didn't have too many slumps when I was, was playing. I mean, I remember one time early, and I'll never forget. I think there was two or three games, which was a lot for me. And I told Mike Walton, who was sitting beside me in Moncton, this is about 1978. And I said, Mike, I said, I've lost it. I can't play anymore. I'm no good. And all he did was have a big belly laugh because I mean, when you're used to doing something and all of a sudden it doesn't come, you're, you're panicking. And he gave me the same advice that I just gave there. And he patted me on the back and he says, don't worry about a thing, kid. You're not going to go, go scoreless forever. And I think, you know, I got a couple points the next game and that was, that was it. I mean, it's uh uh, I remember in junior B going the first three games without a point and thinking I was going to get sent down to midget. And uh, I, I scored a simple goal, an empty net goal in my fourth game. And that triggered just went crazy to tying the scoring champ for the scoring championship that year. Nice. Uh, where does healthy scratches tie into this? Uh, do they generally work or not? A lot of times it's generally because you're playing a crappy 200-foot game as opposed to not scoring, because that's not a way to solve a scoring slump necessarily. But uh, Patrick Line sits for a game, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, he's supposed to come back, and it was he said it's embarrassing, this, that, and the other thing. I mean... Well, I hope it's embarrassing to him. Like, yeah. they should never have to sit out Patrick Line I mean, um, they felt it's uh, it was their their thing to do. Now, take nothing away. Columbus has done that to a lot of their players this year, and or sent them down to the minors or or what have you. But uh, and but you ask me if it works, and I'm saying for um, short term it'll work. It sort of you know it, it gives your head a shake, and uh, and guys usually come to play. The good ones come to play the next night. But I don't think it's a long-term thing, and I don't think it's something you can do to your star players more than once. Like I, I'm a big believer. Like I mean, uh, like I had to sit out Timu Solani one night, and that that killed me. Um, and I mean, I've sat out Jason Pominville and uh, sat out some some pretty good players, and I and I hated doing it. But the next game, I give them double the ice time that they've had. And, um, you know, like, I think that's the best way to get out of a slump is, is when you've got a real good player and whether it's Johnny Goodrow, whether it's Patrick line or something, I think, I mean, and, and they haven't been playing too well, but I mean, at some point you got to give them more ice time, make them play them their way out of it, because let's face it without those guys, you don't have anybody scoring. So you need them. So punishing them by not playing, I think, is counterproductive myself. Right. I'm trying to recall when you were in Vancouver, it wasn't a long stint, obviously, but uh, maybe a couple of the fringe guys. But did, 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 I don't think you benched any of the big shots, did you? You know, but here's the thing. And I would bench um, somebody if they weren't going well for a shift. And yeah. if you're smart enough, like if I benched JT for a shift or didn't let him play for or Brock Besser. I mean, I mean, I didn't have to do it more than them. I would look at them and they would know that their game is not up to up to what I expect from them. And I mean, if you're a competitive guy and both of those guys are, they would take that and they would run with that. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, I did uh, uh, sit out Kevin Fiala two games when he was with me in Minnesota. And I have um, I'm trying to think uh, I, I sat out Kuzmenko. Um 
in Vancouver yeah. and just to make him understand that, I mean, it's, you, and as good a scorer as he was, it's, and is that, I mean, you've got to play both ends of the ice in the NHL. And uh, I mean, obviously it caught on, it caught on and he had a fabulous season, but I mean, uh, at the beginning, we didn't know if he was going to be great or not so great. And we had to get that consistency back and get him out of the KHL mode type thing. And I mean, it's obviously worked and he had a great year rewarded with a two-year deal. And, um, you know, he's not scoring like he, he would like to right now, but I'm sure it'll come pretty soon. Yeah. I think he's been sat there this season. And then of course he takes a puck off the chin and returns two days, two games later, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I think one of the more famous healthy scratches, if I recall, was Steve Casper was coaching at Boston. And I think he benched Cam Neely. Was yeah. it Kevin Stevens was the other guy? Kevin Stevens, the two yeah, of them. And oh, that was a game in Toronto, by the way. And uh, uh, it was, you could see, and I've talked to people that were on that team too. And you could, you know, you could talk to Kevin Stevens during that game. But Cam Neely, if you had a gun near him, he was a bear. You were staying as far away from him as possible. And I mean, I think he was trying to, Steve was trying to set a message, but it, it obviously didn't resonate. I mean, it, he was let go. I've sat Alex Ovechkin for one shift and I was fired a week later. Um, but I mean, it was one shift. He was minus four. We had pulled the goalie and uh, we were down four, three to Anaheim. I'll never forget it. And he, um, he asked me where I was playing, where he was playing. And I said, on the bench, you're not very good tonight. And he got really mad. He said something in Russian, but we went out, we scored the goal. And then I put him back in overtime uh, and he, and we scored again. He got an assist. He didn't score the goal, but I mean, he got an assist. We won the game, but all the talk was about Alex Ovechkin. I mean, you said you had the nerve, you had this, that, and the other thing. So it was about a week later when I got fired. And uh, the funny thing was I got hired the same day because we played Anaheim and I think Bob Murray said, oh, this guy's a real tough ass. We're going to hire him uh, after that. So, I mean, they hired me the same day. Right. By the way, there's there was some movement already this year. And all, you got your resume on standby for uh, – there could be some other – I'm movement. ready to go if anybody wants me, but I don't know if that ship has sailed or not. So, um, I mean, I'd love to get a chance to get back at it. but uh, And I follow the game as closely as I've ever done. And – uh, you know, stay with it, but you never know what's going to happen. Yep. All right. Last thing for this week, the holiday week in the U S at least um, you, you're just back in your hometown of Toronto. Yep. So we haven't really talked about them on here. So just break it down real quick. What the hell's going on with the Maple Leafs? They're playing just good enough to win right now. And I think, boy, they certainly, certainly are relying on William Nylander and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and, Tavares to do all of their scoring and I don't know if that's a recipe if that continues all year for them to have the success that a team from Toronto wants um, I think they have to find some balance they've already I think realized that Ryan Reeves hasn't worked out very well even though at some point I think they'll play him and he'll be some value to them during the course of this year at some point um, Klingberg is another one that's sort of struggled a little bit right now but I mean we know his pedigree he's a good player so I mean uh, we're hoping that bounces back or they're hoping he, 
it bounces back. But I mean, the, the thing with Toronto is their four core four are great core four. I mean, it's uh, it's very similar if you look at who's doing all the scoring in Vancouver and very similar team. I mean, uh, uh, their power play is incredible. I mean, in in Van you have. Pedersen and Miller and Besser and I mean and and Quinn Hughes and then and, and you know probably more than I'm forgetting right now in Toronto you got those four and Morgan Riley so I mean it's a very similar team I'm really looking forward to watching those two teams play but uh, I think if you want to win the whole thing if that's your goal and I know it is in Toronto all the time that I mean you got to get better balance you got to get third line going and your fourth line going where you're not playing somebody 24, 25 minutes a night up front. <clears throat> so that's what I think. Yeah. I was, gonna, I was just going to point that out. Come playoff time, if they can match up and shut down your three or four guys and, and you're not getting any help, you're done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're a long ways from playoff time. So, yeah. I mean, I hate reading everything where this team is done and that team is done. There's right. over 60 games left. I mean, Right. Goodness gracious. I mean, uh, if, if you can get on a little bit of run, you know, you're right back, all of these teams that are out of it. Uh, but I hate the idea that so so much media has given up on the team right away. And even though they're not that teams aren't that good, I would not be throwing in the towel when you got 60 games left to play. Right. Just at the quarter mark. Uh, mm. Gabby, great stuff. A little tidier this week. We'll get out of here because uh, you are in the U.S. I, actually, I am sitting right now in the hockey cabin in the U.S. as well as we speak. And tomorrow is a big holiday. So pig out. Enjoy yourself. Watch a little football. Those incredible Detroit Lions. <laughs> and uh, Great and two. I mean, don't laugh. They're I'm, hey, that's a year. They're having a year that they haven't had in a long time. Hey, I get to mock because... Um, I grew up there and have, have, you know, 1957, I think was the last championship, which mm -hmm. was before my time. Uh, um, by the way, stumbled across a Barry. I love Barry Sanders. Stopped watching the team when he retired for the most part and the NFL for a lot of, for a good chunk of it. Incredible um, Barry Sanders documentary that I can't remember. Maybe Amazon. Like, I don't have any of that crap. It's on my buddy's TV. Um, and it was really, really good. It brings tears to your eyes watching this guy run the football. Well, if any of your listeners ever want to see a dynamic football player, there was nobody, I think he only played eight seasons, mm -hmm. but I mean, there was nobody more dynamic in the history of the NFL than Barry Sanders. Absolutely. You maybe say Gail Sayers, Jim Brown was a different kind of back, but for, dy for dynamic that could get out of any kind of problem you put him into, Barry Sanders was the guy and and so many people uh, were disappointed when he had so much more football left in him that he retired when he did. Yeah. The documentary talks about his, you know, his mindset and he didn't want to pass Walter Payton. It was that simple. And, and the team, typical Lions front office, they got rid of a bunch of guys, lost his offensive lineman. He got he was just done. He, he knew it was hopeless. I think it was nine years and he said, forget it. So anyway, which is. Too bad because you're right. He was unfreaking believable. Uh, have a great holiday, Gabby. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you uh, on the following weekend. Alrighty. And all you uh, American viewers and Canadians that celebrate Thanksgiving, have a great weekend. It's a big weekend for everybody. And I hope you enjoy the turkey.